And now we come to love, the greatest of these. Love, a profound mystery, because something that is the very definition of God cannot be summed up in words. The history of love began in a manger under a velvet sky, a baby born to give us words for love, to give us a face, to help us know what love looks like, and talks like, and acts like. The world's version of love is a commodity the currency it uses to get its way. If you don't behave, believe, think, act this way, we won't love you, so get on board. This world is running desperately after love, but when they reach their destination, they find it's only an imitation of the real love, the first love, the true love. You see, love is never a concept. Love is a person, patient, kind, keeps no account, always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres, and never, ever fails. This is the way of love. Advent is the love story that never stops coming. This love story that's been coming for you since the beginning, the whisper of his heart. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Jesus, the love who went to the cross, so that we know what it means to be loved to death. So while we are here in this broken and hurting world, in this place where love has so many imposters, we are learning to foster the love that will show this world who they really are, who you really are, who love really is. In the chaos of 2020, we lift our eyes to rest on you. You are our love. In the loss and disappointment and division and pain, you are our love. In the midst of this season of busy and doing, you are our love. We slow, we pause, we hold our breath in anticipation. The waiting is hard, but it is holy. We invite you into the waiting. We believe the fullness of time will happen again. You are our hope, you are our peace, you are our joy, you are our love, Jesus. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to Well, good morning and welcome. This morning we gather together to celebrate the fourth and final week of Advent. And part of that is we join with Christians around the world by lighting the fourth candle that represents Advent love. And when we talk about Advent, we, talk, we use that word to, to talk about the season, the season of preparing, of readying ourselves for Christmas. But the word Advent, it literally means coming. So when we light this candle of Advent love, we're lighting a candle of coming love. And this year, as we've been in our Advent series, we've been talking about what it means to wait, what it looks like to wait. And so we cling to the promise of coming love as we 
wait. Think about that for a minute. It's kind of a weird turn of phrase. It's kind of a, an odd way to say that. We cling to the promise of coming love as we wait. You know, you and I, we wait together in a different sort of way than the first followers of Jesus that we've been reading about these last few weeks. We can certainly identify with some of their anticipation and their longing, but we wait differently. We wait differently because love to us, it, 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 it's different. It's no longer a concept. It's not a verb or an action that we hope for. Love is a person. Love is Christ, and he has come. And that reality, it frames our waiting in a totally different sort of way. You see, you and I, were Advent people. We've experienced love's arrival. We have seen it come, and yet we are still waiting. We live between the first Advent and the second Advent. And as Advent people, we're awaiting people by nature. You know, this morning I want to explore together how we wait. Not for love's arrival, for it has already come, but how we can be Advent people who wait with love for the always coming love, Christ. You know, this always coming love, it's woven throughout the entire Bible story from creation to the fall to redemption and the ongoing process of restoration. And one of the ways that we remind ourselves of this story each year is by cycling through Advent readings from the Old Testament and from the epistles and from one of the gospels. And I hope you've seen yourself reflected in the pages this month as we've been walking through the book of Isaiah, this prophetic anticipation of the first arrival of Christ. And when we often think of the gospel accounts as the ones that carry the Christmas story, right, the one we read uh, about Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, we find those in the gospels. But the Christmas story, it's actually a much bigger love story. It's one that started in the very beginning and one that is and has always been coming for you. So I'll admit that when we decided uh, as a preaching team to, to read from these kind of Old Testament readings, I read the passage for this week in 2 Samuel, and I was scratching my head a little bit. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've, I've never heard a passage of 2 Samuel preached in connection to Christmas before. And it felt like an odd one to connect to our theme of Advent love this morning. But as you open your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and read along with me, I want you to remember the bigger love story that has been coming for you since the very beginning. Would you read with me? Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. You know, to set up the story at the start of the book of 2 Samuel, Israel's first king Saul and the prophet Samuel are both dead. But David, who as a boy killed Goliath, a famous and mighty warrior, he's chosen by God to be Israel's new king. And David made mistakes, but he was a good king who served God and cared for the people. And it was described of David that he was a man after God's own heart. And we see how God blesses David all throughout scripture and how he blesses the entire nation of Israel under David's rule. So King David, uh, he's, he's sitting, enjoying a time of peace in his beautiful home, and he looks at where God's presence dwelt in this Ark of the Covenant inside a tent, and he says, this ought not be so. 
He desired to build a temple, to build something that would house God's presence. And so he approaches the prophet Nathan. And in those times, God uh, spoke to his people through the prophets. So Nathan was God's ambassador. He was kind of God's mouthpiece to the people. And so David goes to Nathan and says, this is the thing that I want to do. He asks for permission. And, David, or, and Nathan says, go ahead, the Lord is with you. After all, that's been the theme of David's life and his rule to this point. God has been with him in everything he's done. But something interesting happens. Verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God tells the prophet Nathan that David is not to build this house, this temple. It's a little bit surprising I mean, it kind of reminds me of Moses who got to gaze upon the promised land from the top of Mount Nebo, but told by God that he would not enter. God says to David, essentially, I, I didn't ask you to build me a house. And David wasn't going to be the one to build the temple. You know, we can read in First Chronicles some of the reasons why David wasn't chosen by God for the task, but this had to have been a difficult thing for David. His whole life, everything he had set his hand to had been blessed by God, and he carried his favor in all he did. And I really believe that David's heart here is to to honor God, to serve him. But David waits. And it's how he waited that I think is so notable for us. David waits with expectation. And it would have been easy to just forget it. There's plenty of work to do. But David believed that a time would come to pass to build a house for the Lord. And even though he wouldn't be the one that would get to build it, he began gathering materials and assembling craftsmen and preparing plans for the temple's construction. When the time came for his son Solomon to build the temple, everything had been made ready. And Solomon would go on to build the first temple, a resting place for God's presence where they placed the Ark of the Covenant in the center of the Holy of Holies. And Solomon would go on to lead the nation of Israel at that time to the height of world power. But even that place, even that dwelling place for God, would be temporary. You see, God had something bigger in mind. Verse 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you 
that the Lord will make you a house, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God promises to bless David, to make his name great, to protect him, to give him rest, to create a resting place for his people. But the passage, it isn't just about how God blessed David. You see, it's much more significant than that. This is where the Christmas story collides with the bigger love story that has always been coming for you. The promise is really about how God blessed you and me and the rest of the world. You see, when God speaks of an eternal throne, he isn't speaking about King David, right? We know that King David's rule was not eternal. It came and it went. The forever throne, the prophet Nathan was speaking of, it belongs to someone else. And here might be a more familiar Christmas verse, Luke 2, verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. The Lord's promise of an eternal throne and kingdom would ultimately be fulfilled in this child of Mary, the always coming Christ. You know, it's notable to me that so much attention in Scripture is paid to Jesus' lineage. There's a song written by an artist I, I really like named Andrew Peterson called Matthew's Begats. And he sings uh, the lineage from Abraham through David all the way to Jesus. And I thought that would be fun to sing for you, but the preaching team said, no, don't do that. That might be distracting. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about lineage, right? It's fascinating. My son, Logan, he carries our family name of Collins, but he also carries another family name. You see, Logan's middle name is Robert, Logan Robert Collins. And Janae and I gave him that middle name, Robert, because Robert is also my middle name, Kyle Robert Collins. My dad gave me the name Robert because Robert was his name. And when my grandfather had the chance to adopt my dad, he named my dad Robert because Robert was the name of his older brother. And when my grandfather was 12, his, uh, his dad passed away in a farming accident, and his older brother Robert took care of the family, and he became like a dad to my grandpa. So when he adopted a son, he named him Robert. So Robert and my grandfather and my dad, they've all passed away. But Robert is part of my lineage. He's part of my story. And my four-year-old son, Logan, carries Robert's name, even though he doesn't yet know the weight of it. You see, part of who we are, part of our story, is the family that we're born into. Those relationships form us and shape us. And Jesus being from David's lineage, it was more than just prophecy fulfilled. It wasn't just random or happenstance. God chose this family, this lineage, to become a man and enter the world through Mary. And it meant something. You know, this month we've been talking about what happens in the waiting, right? That there's things that are happening in us. God is forming us. He's changing us. But there's something else that happens in the waiting. The longer that we wait, the more people are added to the story. 
The longer that we wait, the more people are invited and included. The longer they waited for Christ, the more that lineage grew. And the longer that we wait, the more our lineage grows. And we look at the stories of David and God's promise to him to remind ourselves that from the beginning of time, Christ was always coming through Abraham, through David and Solomon, through Josiah and Jacob and Joseph. And if I might be so bold, Christ is still coming through Robert and Rex and Bob and Kyle and Logan. You see, one of the things that happened in that first advent is that you and I were included in the lineage. That because of Christ, we became full heirs and part of the family of God. And this is the celebration of Christmas. This is the promise of Advent. And we wait for it to come in its fullness. And in our waiting is lament, an acknowledgement, a recognition that things are not as they should be, and a turning towards God. You see, we can't cling to the promise of this always coming love without lamenting the ways we have experienced its absence in our lives. If you're with us last year, you may recall we had a special time of lament, a lament and hope service on the last Sunday of the year. It was a beautiful way to close out the year and come together as a community, but as we begin to prepare and plan for this year, we felt like lament ought to be part of our preparation for Christmas that it ought to be part of the way we ready ourselves to receive this gift of Christmas. And so each week during Advent, we've been giving a little bit of space to lament together. You know, lament, it's significant because it's the means by which we repent and we move towards what God intends. It has to happen. It's the way we turn. And so this morning, we cling to love by lamenting the ways that we have accepted cheap substitutes for it. And I want to lead us into a time of of just personal lament for a minute. I want to ask the question, what does your heart need to lament about love's absence in your life this year? Can I just be honest? (laughs) One of the ways I've experienced the absence of love personally this year is by not choosing it. You know, this year, I think universally, it's been painful and difficult and hard for all of us. But there have been many times for me that I've avoided and I've escaped. Instead of embracing that hard and that pain and taking that stuff to Jesus, I've sought comfort and peace in food and drink and entertainment and distraction. And I lament the way that that has robbed me of the love that God intended. What about you? What does your heart need to lament about love's absence in your life this year? Can I just give you a minute to take a second and ask that question? And if God brings anything to mind, would you just lament that right now?
You know, lament is a reminder. It's just, it's simply an acknowledgement that things are not as they should be. And it's a turning towards God. The biblical example we have of lament is that it's never just personal, that lament is communal. It's something we participate in together. That there are things that we lament for one another, on behalf of one another, with one another. So I invite you just to take a step back and ask the question, where have you seen love's absence in our world? We've come face to face with racial injustice this year, division and conflict, loneliness, disease, isolation. What does your heart need to lament about love's absence in our world this year? What do we together need to lament about love's absence in our world this year? Would you take a minute to consider that? Remember in the beginning I said we were Advent people? Advent people who live between the first and the second Advent, the first and the second coming. You know, it changes how we wait. Love's arrival, it came on Christmas. It came in the form of Jesus. It came as the inauguration of the kingdom of God. It came as shalom. Life is God intends. But it is more. Nations have risen and fallen. Kings and presidents and wars and global pandemics have come and they have gone. But one thing remains, love. And his kingdom reigns forever. You know, the temple that, God, that David wanted to build to establish a place for God's presence on earth, it was temporary. When Christ came, we became the dwelling place. We are the house that the Lord has built, and his very person in the form of the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Christ in us, Christ through us. It's the very means by which love is always coming to us and to the world around us. And so we wait together with love for love that has been and is always coming. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, would you root us and would you ground us in your love? Would you help us to be people who wait well, who wait with 
expectation. Would you remind us of the love that is at work in us and through us to the world around us? And come, Lord Jesus, and bring the life that you intend. Amen.